cuts are blood money. People will die. Black Lives Matter is killing Americans. Republicans want you to die quickly if you get sick. We could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. Things are going swimmingly in Afghanistan. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Episode five. 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 Wow, we made it halfway to ten. <laughs> Actually, I saw a statistic that out of all podcasts that are out there, depending on what source you looked at, somewhere between 50 and 95% of podcasts don't get to episode five. Hey, look yeah. at us. All right, I'm Ken. That's Andrew. And you know what we're all about. We've got a love-hate relationship with politics. We love the content, but we hate the lies and the deception that comes along with our hyper-partisan two-party system. So let's get to it. And here we go. We're going to do something a bit different. Usually we pick an event or topic and we go through some of the background and history. We talk about the data and then we see what some of the important people are saying about it. But today we are going to change things up a little bit. It's kind of like when my wife says she wants to get her hair cut, but not because her hair is bad or doesn't like it. She just wants a change, you know, maybe some highlights, take some inches off. You know, we're not going full pixie cut, but we're going to do something a little bit different. And Chelsea deserves a change every once in a yeah. while. Yeah. But usually when she does that, she ends up hating it and thinks that it's hideous. So I don't really know what that means for this episode, but let's let's power through. Here we go. Today, we are going to discuss the anatomy of a deceptive news article. We will, but I'm having a tough time picturing your wife with a pixie haircut. <laughs> I, I don't want to see it. I don't think I have to go into detail explaining what a deceptive news article is. We all know what that is. They are everywhere. It's more difficult to find neutral news than it is to find something excessively partisan. Confidence in the news media, check this out, in 2022 was down to 11%. Not down 11%, down to 11%. And that's not the lowest. It's the second lowest American institution behind Congress who is at 7%. It's hard to beat only 11% of people trusting that institution. And things that were above this, big tech, big banks, the presidency, the Supreme Court, all things that you would think people don't trust, higher than the news media. Not great. Every purveyor of news has an agenda, as we all know, and they are just trying to convince us of something, and we all know it, and that's not what news is supposed to be, guys. So we're not going to talk about what a deceptive news article is. We're going to analyze what goes into it. What makes an article deceptive? How do they do what they do? What's that secret sauce to kind of create their narrative and how do they make you think something without you even really realizing that you're thinking it? It's kind of like analyzing the key ingredients of a taco. Like all the different pieces by themselves are in a taco. They're just kind of an element of that entire recipe, right? You can't just have the beef or the tortilla. You put them all together to have the whole, you know, the whole enchilada, the whole experience. There is a whole slew of people that would say you can't make a taco joke and then also throw an enchilada in there and call it the same thing. Because those are very different things to many different people. Those people would be wrong because... <laughs> <laughs> Ken, you've never had an enchilada or a taco then. <laughs> I don't... Actually, I've never had an enchilada, I don't think. I think I've only had tacos, but... And there the truth lies. Sorry. Uh, anyways. Well, uh, did you actually know where the phrase, the whole enchilada comes from, though? Enlighten us, please. So back in the, the Nixon administration when the whole Watergate scandal was going down with the Nixon tapes, are you familiar with those? I've heard about them. 
So I guess there was this guy that was high up in the Nixon administration that was like a super foodie. And he tossed around the phrase, the big enchilada, like referring to a really important person. And then after a little while, he modified it so that it was like the whole nine yards and he was using the the whole enchilada. So it actually came from the Nixon administration. I mean, that's really cool. I don't know how effective he was as a lawyer or whatever he was trying to do during (laughs) that process, but that's a nice tagline. We won't stick to just news articles when we go through this because social media is such a huge part of how we consume our news and information. And it's a gray area, too, because the elements that apply to a news article a lot of times will apply to a tweet or whatever, too. So so we'll talk about the information wasteland that is social media as well, namely Twitter, but it applies to others like Facebook, TikTok, etc. There might even be some out there already that we don't know about because we're old dads. <laughs> I refuse to say TikTok, except for right now because we're recording. I call it TikTok on purpose to seem... <laughs> Just so outdated. My younger sister isn't interested in having a Facebook. And the way she talks about it, it's like, if we said, you know, let's get back on MySpace. And that blows my mind. I thought Facebook was, you know, in our in our generation, that's still relevant. But the younger generation thinks that is totally not worth their time. So let's be honest. We're MySpace was always better than Facebook. There is no universe where MySpace was not as good as Facebook. Secretly, I agree with you, but there is oh, sure. no audience that would resonate to that at this point. <laughs> or would they would even know what that is. No, it'll be like uh, fashion things that come back in style. MySpace will come back in fashion and people will be like, there's this new social media platform. It's called MySpace. Check it out. <laughs> I think over a decade ago, Justin Timberlake bought MySpace, hoping to revive it as like a music thing, and that didn't happen. Oh, well, I shed a tear for the lost. It taught us all HTML, or however you say that. Very true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and we'll start talking about the traditional news articles firstly. I feel like they still are the most prominent place that we disseminate political information. Well, not we, but how it gets to us. Even social media is still referencing traditional news articles. For sure, yeah. So we got to give it its due. So the first aspect of a deceptive news article is the article placement and its title. In the old days when there was print newspapers, it would be what's on the front page. And I know I sound like a dinosaur, but that was the priority. The thing that was on the front page determined what was important. If it's on the front, you need to pay attention. And if it's buried, you know, way in the back pages, nobody cares about it or nobody's going to hear about it. And that's not how it works now, but you're right in that's still the idea of how you're going to grab someone's attention. There is a headline. It might not be on a piece of paper. And like you can't see us because we're talking to you just through audio, but we are not that old and we've never sat and opened a newspaper. But it's the same theme Speak and idea yourself, that you have a headline. Man, you I've, sit and look at newspapers over a cup of tea? Dude, I went I went to business college. Like, <laughs> What does that even mean? Wall Street Journal. They, like They made us sign up for the Wall Street Journal. On your phone, right? No. No, physical, physical paper. Papers. Yes, it was delivered to, ironically, to my parents' house because I lived at home in college, but I was getting the Wall Street Journal delivered. Paper, paper news. You were waking up, you were sitting cross-legged on a chair, and like when they open it up and crack it, so it makes that noise. Sipping a, a black coffee and staring out my window at my lawn. With your monocle. <laughs> As I'm 19 years old. <laughs> I can see this, man. Okay, I stand corrected. Uh, no, no. Uh, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> that's the only, <laughs> that's the that's only, the only that's part wrong. that wasn't true. <laughs> well, Ken, but, things are different now. Okay? Right. So so now it's, it's, it's more like... It's not business school anymore. <laughs> so now instead of it being front page news on the paper, it's a website. S- same tactic, same idea, same everything. It's just more dynamic. Yeah. And the key feature about it is that it can be updated at any point on the fly. If something is buried at the bottom of a site, 
three pages down, you may never see it. And that thing, that can shift at any point where something is a headline or totally buried. Right. Because with a newspaper, they had to make that decision on a daily or weekly basis, depending on how frequently that news is coming out. Now, 30 seconds later, they want to change and, and make it whatever is the new and fresh thing that they need to see, they can do it on the fly. Articles are being edited all day, every day. If something comes out as a headline or an article and it's wrong or they want it changed, the company that put it out, they can do that at any moment in time. Have you noticed, I've had this experience before, where you see a news article and then the page refreshes and it's the exact same news article but with a different title? Have you seen that? That personally hasn't happened to me, but I imagine it's probably so frustrating if that is happening and there's no clear indication as to what changed it happens that sounds horrible all the time and i assume that it's they put out the article and then if it doesn't get like a certain number of clicks within the first one minute or whatever they'll flip the title to something else so that it is more enticing for people to click on see that's pretty interesting i was thinking the exact opposite too we know that this article is going to make headlines and be um, inflammatory or off color or something like that and so that's put out and it's promoted because it's absurd and then before people get realize how absurd oh, it is, yep, yep, then yep. make it more reasonable or agreeable. I see. What um, you're but saying. you got like your exposure their tracks. Yeah, but you got your exposure in the meantime. Yep. Yep. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, and then another element of that is like kind of burying something that you don't want people to know about. Like either you don't put it on the page at all, so nobody ever sees it, or you bury it way in the back, even if it's something that's important that people need to know. And all of the organizations are doing this. There's yeah. no exception. And I mean, this might be our like familiar soapbox, but you got to get your information from multiple sources. Yeah. And I assume most people are doing that these days because it's too easy. But if you're not doing that, if there's anything you can take away from this episode, it's please like diversify where you're getting your information. Yeah. And different mediums too. Like maybe it's, maybe it's a website for one place, a podcast from another, uh, a print news from Don't another place. Don't you dare recommend like... print news to anybody. <laughs> Nobody's going to do this. It still has life. Um, I also find that like things that aren't inherently political seem to be less biased. There is still some degree of bias in there, but financial news or business news or like something like that, something that is not specifically a partisan news website will be a little bit better. That feels that feels true. I, I do agree with you there. For this episode, we're going to use one main article to walk through the different aspects that we're talking about here as an example. We'll pepper in some others as well, but right now it's, it's an article by CNN titled, quote, here's what happened to the federal debt under past presidents and why it's hard to assign blame, end quote. So let's talk about that title. The first part of the title, pretty factual, and that's okay. Passes the sniff test. Yep, straightforward. But the second half, it's a bit opinionated why it's hard to assign blame. And that's doing two things. It's providing an opinion that isn't backed up by facts. It's like kind of trying to spoon feed you a conclusion. Like the article could be titled, here's what happened to the debt under past presidents. That's it. Boring. Stop. Like they couldn't help themselves. They had to tack on that opinion. They felt that they needed to add that on. I guess my only pushback, if I had to, would be if that was actually true, then that would make more sense. Right. Like if it was actually hard to assign blame and there was like a key reason why it was hard to assign blame, then I could digest that a little bit better. I like to think of this kind of like a cinnamon raisin bagel. Don't you do it, Ken. Don't why do it. is it always cinnamon raisin? Everybody just wants the cinnamon bagel. Nobody wants the raisins. So like think of that from the news article perspective. They got the two different things, the thing that people want and the thing that people don't want. Separate the two. If they were to sell a shelf of cinnamon bagels and a shelf of raisin bagels, 
the cinnamon bagels would sell out and the raisin ones would still all be there getting moldy and crusty. And it's so frustrating because I know Ken, if you guys didn't know, and he's picking off the raisins off of his cinnamon (laughs) raisin bagel and like throwing them in the trash. (laughs) I don't mind the raisins in there, but it's just better without them. Um, So that's like this article title. They could have just said that first part, the facts, the facts that everybody wants, but then they add the thing that nobody wants, the opinion. The other thing this article is doing so the context around when and why this article appears is is key. At the time, Biden and the Democrats were under fire for excessive spending in conversations concerning the debt limit. Lo and behold, this article pops up front and center on the CNN website, acting as a defense of the Democrats. They so, weren't even trying to hide it. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, here it is. <laughs> so the title, the placement, the context are all... They're the first thing that makes it deceptive. And with our taco analogy, this is kind of like the tortilla. It's like the vehicle that brings the rest of the taco to your mouth. If there's no tortilla, there's no taco, right? It's just a pile of ingredients. I hate to admit it, but you're making a lot of sense. So there's another article we found by Fox titled, quote, we need an omelet price index to show the real pain caused by Biden inflation, end quote. So they laid us the same trap. The first half of the title... It's it catches me. I mean, you're right. going to talk it's, about it's, omelets. It is great. It's quirky. It's catchy. You don't need to add any of that other stuff. It's great on its own. We right. need a pro- omelet price index. I, would you click on that? Of course I would. Right. Ken. I would. But if I was a Fox subscriber, mm. I would click on it more if it said the Bidens did it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Right. Absolutely. So let's get back to the national debt article and how it's difficult to assign blame or not. Yeah, right. So we're looking at the body of this article now and the terminology, the narrative. I guess we're going to use the taco lens officially from here on out. So (laughs) this is the lettuce on our taco, the word salad, if you will. The article states, quote, both parties have played a role in adding to the debt and it's difficult to cast blame fairly, end quote. Yes, sure. Both parties have played a role in adding to the debt. But is it difficult to cast blame fairly? If you have introduced a bill or voted for a bill, sponsored a bill, whatever, that is excessive spending, you are responsible. We don't have to obfuscate. (laughs) You are to blame. (laughs) Stop trying to diffuse the blame for government spending. If you are involved in the spending, if you pass the bill, then you are to blame. The end. Very straightforward. Right. There's another quote in there. It says, uh, while presidents sign bills into law, it's Congress, which may or may not be controlled by the president's party that passes spending legislation and tax reforms. Plus, the president and Congress do not have full control over the economy, which can sometimes have a bigger impact on the debt than laws. Those are all kind of truths. Right. But it's prepping us to say that they're not responsible. Right. It's that context and using the words to say something to lead you to an answer by the way that you're saying it even like it's kind of like rat poison (laughs) rat poison isn't a hundred percent rat poison rat poison is like one or two percent poison and then like the rest of it is tasty rat rat food it's like the things that they want so like this they're taking truth yes congress is a part of it but saying that the president is completely free of blame or can't be blamed for it because Congress has a hand in passing these budgets, it's just excuses. I have a lot more respect for somebody that says, you know what, like the debt has gone up under me, but I'm going to try and do better and work with Congress and bring the debt down. I would have Phew, 100%. That wouldn't sell. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh it wouldn't God. sell. And that's the problem. Right. Yeah. If you're continually trying to get elected, you admitting wrong. 
Yeah, I don't know. So like instead, let's do all of these gymnastics with our words. Especially when there is no issue blaming the president for other things that are not right. going the right way. And then if the Republicans are doing a poor thing or the Democrats are doing a poor thing the next time around, you're just going to change it around again. You'll use your word salad and you'll describe it in a different way. And then you'll use the word salad to talk about how the president has the bully pulpit and they're the one that guides and leads. They're the executive branch. You know, you'll you'll change your words. And that's the thing that you're going to say now instead. The hypocrisy is the problem. Exactly. No doubt. So another quote here is, quote, further still, decisions made by past presidents and lawmakers continue to have an impact on the amount of debt acquired today, end quote. Yeah, sure. In some way, there is big truth to that. We are building on the backs of those who came before us. But concretely, it goes back to those who are directly deciding to spend excessively and irresponsibly. And like I know that the the first year of when a president comes into office, that budget has already been predetermined by like the pre right. the predecessor. So you kind of have to like shift everything over by a year. But at the same time, again, the vast majority of the spending that's happening there happens under your watch. So I just have a lot more respect for somebody who just takes responsibility for things internal locus of control don't blame others what did you say internal locus of control it's a psychological term you can either have an internal or external locus of control internal means you take personal responsibility for things more often than not external locus of control means like you are more apt to blame others for things that happen regardless of what the cause is it's freaking brilliant what are you reading in your spare time that that was uh i think back in college um that was good that was good that's my word salad yeah okay (laughs) that's my lettuce (laughs) where's the poison Um, so there's another quote here more recent legislation like pandemic related spending and expanding access to affordable health care has added to the debt look at that verbal sleight of hand in this one pandemic related spending Look how short, sweet, and to the point that little phrase is. And a lot of times it's not uh, how much you say about it. It is about how much you say about something, but it's not always adding more. It's not that there's a ton of lettuce. They are intentionally saying very little to make it seem like it's this like necessary, unavoidable, straightforward. Like, it's just a fact. It's just uh, it's the presumption that we needed it. Yeah. Exactly. So even though there was this other element where there was a ton of fraud, waste and abuse and people were like really criticizing this second round of stimulus for pandemic related spending for saying that it was way over the top and completely unnecessary. And so they're trying to say like, yes, pandemic related spending, like almost robotic. Yeah. But there's this whole other context around it there's this whole other bit of information that adds to this yeah i agree man the second part of that it states quote expanding access to affordable health care end quote so the aca again democratic spending was roundly criticized at the time i love this quote nancy pelosi famously said that they had to pass the bill for us to find out what was in it and in the context in that was they tried to pass it the first time. They got so much pushback on it that they had to rephrase repackage it, it, repackage it, and almost like let the initial blowback die down in order to get it passed. And and that's the real context, not the context that they're trying to spin. And separately, on an aside, if, if you're gen- generally trying to do the right thing and pass something that you believe is good and it gets rejected, to then sit back on your haunches, learn from it, and repackage it in a way that you're generally trying to improve it. But it was the same idea trying to be rammed through with different packaging. Right. 
Absolutely. So word salad in context. I think of this like I have two sons. So I just imagine one of them runs up to me and says, my brother punched me. Like this is the headline. That's the thing that's grabbing your attention because they're trying to blame their brother for something. But there's always more to the story. So you need to kind of tease out the truth. But then, you know, you realize you're examining a hostile witness. They're not going to they're not going to just give you the truth. Right. You have to pull it out of them. So you're like, did you punch your brother? No. Did you push him? No. Did you touch him? Yes. Okay, so we know that there was physical contact that was involved. Was your hand opened or closed? Open. Was it hard or soft? Soft. Did your brother fall over? Yes. Did he cry? Yes. Okay, so you very gently, open-handedly nudged your brother, and he happened to fall over and cry. Got it. Okay. Sure that that terminology is very representative of what actually happened. Maybe the correct terminology or description is that he punched his brother in the mouth, but maybe that's not what he's going to say, right? But then there's more context here. I have to switch over to the plaintiff, the other brother. What was the proximity to the defendant prior to the event in question? What were you doing? Oh, uh, nothing. Okay. So you were sitting there innocently by yourself and your brother came out of nowhere and gently open-handedly nudged you for no reason. That seems a little suspicious. So those two factors, the context and the terminology... Sure, he may have pushed him down. Context, maybe it was in self-defense. Maybe he was fearing for his life because his brother was charging at him. It changes the whole story, the way that the words are said and the context of why it happened. And so like that is directly applicable. That's the lettuce, the lettuce for the article. Your boys turn you into a regular Sherlock Holmes, man. Oh, and, absolutely. And There's... like every parent's ability to turn into that, that was beautifully stated, my friend. And what ability for a child to know exactly what the headline needs to be in hopes that you just react to that. My brother punched me. That's good. <laughs> They've got uh, news, news media jobs waiting for them when they grow up. <laughs> absolutely. And that is exactly the way we need to treat news articles. The headline is usually a gross misrepresentation of the truth because of the general context or lack thereof. And then we have to ask so many deep questions to get to the real answer. And these questions we have to ask, it's usually a huge deterrent for many people. Or we're just too exhausted to diligently do this every single time. Questions like, what was going on geopolitically when the article was written? What motive might the writer have to stretch the truth? Which direction are they inherently pulling us in? Does it feel accurate or genuine? Yeah, it's there's too like much. so much activity that you have to perform in your brain when approaching it. Like, I think the, the word that you used, exhausting, that's it completely is. accurate for the way that you have to approach it. And, you know, if you weren't feeling so parenty that day, you would have said, <laughs> you know, brother that punched him, you're in trouble. Right. And that guy wins. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Another quote from this same CNN article in the body is, quote, in the late 1990s, the federal debt share of GDP actually fell when a strong economy and less defense spending helped lead to a balanced budget under President Bill Clinton and a Republican-controlled Congress. The most recent time the U.S. has seen a budget surplus rather than deficit, end quote. Blech. If you want to get me angry, Thanks, just, just say, like, Bill Clinton had a budget surplus. It. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> common that everyone's saying that. Everybody says it. But tell us why it's wrong. The, the reason why I take issue with it, what would you expect to happen when there is a surplus? Would you expect the, the total debt held by the U.S. to go up or down? I would think down. Right. You would think that the debt would go down. In that one year where he technically had a surplus, the total debt held by the U.S. went up. 
The only reason why it's technically a surplus is because they sprinkled their magic fairy accounting pixie dust and they rejiggered some of the way that the debt is held. And I won't get into the nitty gritty of it, but the total debt in that year went up. So you can't say that the debt went down. It's not fully accurate. It's not fully accurate. It's again, the way that you say it. It's the word salad trying to make things seem like something when it's not. Now, that being said... I do have to give credit to the combination of Bill Clinton and the GOP held Congress because that is the closest we've gotten to the debt being reduced in a single year in a very, very long time. It's just, again, it's the word salad and it's the context and narrative. Like you said, he gets the credit, but it was a combination of him and the Republican controlled Congress. Right. Probably more so the Republican controlled Congress that allowed that to happen. I mean, really, it's the combination of the two. It's the fact that you're forcing the opposite sides to come together to get anything done. Sure. And the other piece of that, too, is they're trying to make this seem like the last time we had a fiscally responsible president was Bill Clinton, a Democrat. So they're trying to say like, oh, Democrats are actually really good at this. And they're right. Again, it's the defense of Biden in his budgeting. It's the context of this article and the way that they're saying this. So it's 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 the lettuce. Do you want to get to the beef? Um, yeah, yeah, let's get to the beef. All right, so the next element of our deceptive news article is going to be feigned consensus. So this is using experts and people who sound really smart or hold high positions in order to kind of bolster your argument. And in our taco analogy, I'm going to call this the beef. No, no chicken tacos, no fish tacos. We're going straight for the steak. Or what we think is steak. Yeah, fake steak. So this, usually you'll hear this as like most experts agree or there's general consensus or it's settled science or kind of referring to something that's indisputable because there is an expert that backs your opinion. But it's only my experts, not your experts, because those are the experts that matter. And if the laundry list of accolades is long enough, you'll just kind of zone out and assume everything's gravy. Here we go. Here's a good one. Quote, most of the problem has not been created by any recent office holder, said Charles Blouse. And here's his accolades. Senior research strategist at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University and author of the paper, quote, why we have federal deficits, end quote. Despite all the political rhetoric expended today to cast blame for skyrocketing federal debts, the largest drivers of the structural federal fiscal imbalance were enacted roughly a half century ago. End quote. That's the really, issues we have beefy. today. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of beef. It's a lot of sofritas, actually, Ken. It's the fake beef. <laughs> Wait, what? It's the soy beef. It's the fake beef they put in the uh, vegetarian tacos. <laughs> oh, I like it. You so like it's, it's like the beef, but it's, uh, you know, it's hidden in beef. the shell. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. So he's telling us that stuff that has happened in the distant past, which we cannot rehash or bring up now, mainly maybe social securities or entitlement spending. They are what they are. They're there. We're not going to shed any light on it. But here's those are the reasons why we're in a situation where there's debt, but it's excusable debt. Right. And we have to keep things going the way they should be going. Right. This all happened 50 years ago. There's no other context that we need to add here. It happened 50 years ago. We can't touch it. We can't change it. Like this is just it's just happening. So just accept it. Eat your taco. Right. And this is coming from a really smart dude. He really knows what he's talking about. He wrote a book. He wrote a paper. So So this thing that happened 50 years ago, that's the reason why we have these budgets and it can never change. And like you said, it's the expert of your side, because if they got someone just as intelligent of the other side to go up against this guy, he would have plenty of reasons to explain why all of these debt drivers that we have built in are horrible. But we're just going to highlight the guys that are intelligent, that have the accolades, who are just spouting what we 
you are hoping to promote. In any degree of critical thinking, like any time, whether it's, I don't know, you're in school or at work or whatever, people will say the acceptable answer is not let's do it this way because it's the way that it's always been done or this is the way that we've always done it. So we're just going to keep doing it. It's not a great recipe for success. Right. The, the way to fix a problem, you'll never fix a problem if you just do what has always been done. You have to change the way that you're thinking about it. And that's part of the whole conversation that's been happening around the debt. And people are pointing at the infrastructure that we implemented like 50 years ago and saying like, we need to do something different because it's not working. And he's saying, you know, this this person who clearly is very smart, but he has his own political side and he's saying like, hey, we can't touch this. And this is just the way that it is. This is the way that the budget works. And so it's not this current president's fault. It's it's what we've always done. And it is odd that it seems to be as time goes on and debt is growing, that instead of saying, hey, we need to handle this and look at it in the face and figure out what's going on, we're going more along the lines of money isn't that real and debt isn't really that real. And let's figure out a way to call this not a problem so we can just continue digesting it. Oh, that that segues perfectly into this next quote. Money isn't real. (laughs) So we have another quote and it says, quote, it's worth noting that the figures used in this graph above measures debt held by the public, which experts at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities argue is more economically meaningful than gross debt. The former measures the government borrowing from the private sector and foreign governments, excluding debt it owes itself. Debt held by the public is currently at $24 trillion, and gross debt, which is subject to a congressional limit, is about $31 trillion, end quote. And this one kills me, because I don't care what the experts at the CBPP say. Debt is debt. It doesn't matter if it's held by the public, doesn't matter if it's held by the Fed. It's a total amount that the U.S. government has spent and owes the money is spent, it's gone. And that I feel like is what is so wrong with the spending and debt limit conversations is we're talking about monopoly money. It doesn't matter. It's fake money. It's money, whatever. We can just print more and it is what it is. So like we're going to focus on the publicly held debt. We're going to ignore this other debt that's over here. Do you know who doesn't care about what kind of debt the debt is? Those who the debt is owed. Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) They do not care if it's excusable or inexcusable debt it is debt well all right ken can you tell us i mean the people at the cbpp are almost as intelligent as we are and so (laughs) could you tell us why they're differentiating between the two and saying it's excusable all right so with publicly held debt this type of debt is debt typically that is owed to either like the u.s citizens or could be even citizens of foreign countries that buy u.s treasury bills And then the other part of it is typically going to be money that is owed to a foreign country. So country X loans a billion dollars to the United States. The United States now owes a billion dollars to that country. So it's publicly held debt. And they're saying that's not that important? No, that's that's the the one one that that they're saying. No, that's they are saying that that's the one that is important. The other piece of it, though, is debt not held by the public, which is going to be money that is still spent by the U.S. government, but it's owed to like one branch of the U.S. government or one you know department or whatever loans money to another section of the U.S. government. So it's like shifting money from one area to another. So that's the reason why they're trying to say that it doesn't matter as much because like it owes money to itself. It's spending on Social Security. So it's like all kind of within this little circle of the U.S. government. But it doesn't matter because like goods and services are being rendered. There is an output to this. And to say that that debt doesn't matter 
is it seems like a short-term fix or something to get through the problem but we'll very much suffer for it on the other end absolutely yeah well thank you for that i understand a bit more nice nice so the big eye grabber on any article is obviously the charts, the graphs, the things you can visually see that show the point of what they're getting at in the in the verbiage of the article. And I mean, with, an, with any kind of tweaking, you can make any chart say anything you want. And this is where those who are trying to push an agenda really have an opportunity to grab someone and make it simple. And this this was a really popular one during COVID because you could slice and dice that data to say whatever it was that you want. And as Absolutely. long as you just sliced it in the particular way, it doesn't matter if you're super on you know one side or the other, you could make the numbers tell you what you wanted. COVID could have either been a light flu or the death and destruction of us all. And both graphs could be using accurate information. Yeah, fully real data. Yeah, absolutely yeah. real data. I like to think of this like uh, the video makeup tutorials. Have you seen any of those? Can I don't make a habit of watching those on my <laughs> on my personal time? No, it just like it pops up and then like it sucks you in because You're I, watching I feel bad. Videos. I know I feel bad saying this, but like it starts with somebody who is like they almost intentionally make themselves look like a bridge troll. That's the shock and awe, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, they yes, like de makeup right. themselves. Right, they de makeup themselves and they make the lighting terrible and they just look like you look at that video and you cringe a little bit. Yeah, and then the like boils on their face. and then slowly they just plaster this stuff on and then the more layers they put on and then at the end it's like they're this totally different person and they look completely different but underneath the makeup it's still the same person it's still the same face or the same data if you will it's still the same thing underneath it's still real it's true but you've added so many slices and layers and differences in that data that it looks completely different absolutely and you can do that with charts and data. So we have a particular chart that I want to go through here in the article. You obviously can't see it because you're listening to a podcast. But if you want to pull up the article, um, just throw the name of the article in Google from earlier on and you'll be able to see it. And it's about, I don't know, probably halfway down in the article. And it's this long flowy chart. And so this chart is labeled federal debt held by the public as a percent of GDP. And basically you see this line kind of going, there's this little lump, and then there's this super sharp incline and it peaks. And then you see it kind of tails off at the end. And basically it's showing each individual president <clears throat> over the past 50, 60 years. And you see it go up, up, up with Obama and Trump. And then you see Biden and it goes down a little bit at the end. Sharp. And so, right, sharply that trend stops. And so the takeaway that you would have when you just kind of are skimming past this and looking at this particular graph is you're going to say, okay, debt, debt kept going up. The, the worst offenders were kind of Obama and Trump. And then Biden is actually doing great because he made it go down. But again, remember the fact that there are many layers to this data and they're, they're kind of slicing and dicing it to tell the story that they want to tell. It's federal debt held by the public. It's not general debt. It's not all debt. It's debt held by the public. So we're, we're slicing out this whole separate section of it. And it's as a percent of GDP. So this is telling you one story. What I would actually want to see is either the change in the debt as a percent of the GDP or the total spending for that particular year relative to the GDP, because that's going to give you a different graph. Or just show me the graph of the total debt. Don't even talk about GDP or whatever, because then you can see where the dollars are going. So 
because they're able to manipulate this and tease this out, it's telling you a different story where if, if you look at the same numbers, the same data, just through a different lens, it's going to look completely different. Also, the only data that they have surrounding Biden is going to be that 2022 data. And if you look down at the bottom left in the tiny grayed out text at the bottom, it says, note, 2022 figure is an estimate. Which is the entire purpose of the graph. I, if I were a betting man, if I were throwing down some money, I'm going to guess that that estimate is probably a low ball, you know? So, Considering so, the article. So if you recast this graph with real data at you know a later time, then chances are it's going to tell a different story with unestimated data. So that's the thing that you have to look out for is they're trying to tell you a story with a particular graph and data. And if you don't tease out what this graph means and however, whatever percent of the U.S. population isn't even necessarily going to be familiar with that particular topic, maybe they're not going to know that debt held by the public means something different from the other type of debt. So they're deceiving people based off of the fact that they're probably not going to sit there and ponder what this graph means. They're just going to look at this graph and they're going to say, actually, Biden's not doing that bad. And especially when the title says U.S. debt has been rising, has nothing to do with the percentage of GDP. Right. Absolutely. So let's get back to that omelet. I know we're all feeling hungry. <laughs> You've been thinking about that omelet. You yeah, wanted to get back for to my, it. Written for my moment. The omelet price index is a picture-perfect example of honing in on a specific data set to suit one's own agenda. So, you know, whipping up that three-egg ham and cheese omelet with a side of toast has increased by, this is an alarming number, 49.9% in the, in the past year, January right. 2022 they, to 2023. They were not satisfied with inflation of 7, 8, 9%. They were like, we need a much bigger number than this. Zoom in on something that is going up drastically. Right. But when you put it in real numbers, that's your two-egg omelet becoming a three-egg omelet. It is not that exciting true in numbers <laughs> or your three egg omelet that you had before because of price increases now you're making a two egg omelet one instead. and a half yeah. one and a half egg omelet yeah. Ken. right yeah so um i mean when you're looking at the cpi or like a general assessment of multi industries or goods and how they've increased or decreased that number will not be as dramatic but if you zoom in on a specific thing that has increased dramatically that is very more alarming if you just look at that 49% number. And all that produces is a, a different type of reaction. Again, all of the numbers are still the same. They just want that number, that percentage to be higher. They're right. trying to tell a different story. And so the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that when we're talking about this modified data, it's not necessarily just in the charts and the graphs. The charts and the graphs will really grab your eye. But it could just be a particular statistic that they plop in the text of the article that really grabs your attention. And that's your takeaway from reading the article is that one statistic that you see. But it's kind of dispersed throughout the article of saying, like, this is data that backs up a particular argument. But again, you can slice it another way and it can look completely different. Polls, an absolute huge one. Oh my gosh, polls are awful. I, I don't even like hearing when someone starts speaking about polls. I All those diligent type questions you need to ask yourself we referenced earlier, you really need to get serious if you're going to listen to someone's poll. It uh, is about so something. easy to modify the results of a poll. And I get that there's theory around it and they're like, they're not just spitting into the wind, but it's just too easy to manipulate in Very order for it huge to be. generalization. Yeah. So this this section, this modified data with our taco analogy, I will refer to this as 
the shredded cheese because they're just kind of sprinkling this over the top. They're just getting that information in there. It zests it up a little bit, gives it a little bit of flavor. And maybe it's primarily what you see. Visibly, oh, when yeah. you look at your taco, that's what's showing up at you. You definitely see top. the shredded cheese. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, oh. you're scrolling through quickly and it's like, bam, there's the chart. There's the shredded cheese. That's it. And there is a right and wrong way to spread your shredded cheese on your taco. For someone who doesn't know the difference between a taco and an enchilada, please tell us how well, you spread your shred cheese. <laughs> um, well, how do you, I bet you spread your cheese ham fisted and you just dump it on there like no, a, what's like that, a savage. No, what's that famous meme guy? Um, That's exactly right, where about. he bounces the salt off of his. What's his yes. name? Oh, shoot. Uh, we'll look it up. We'll Anyways. look it up. We'll get back to you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, you got to sprinkle the cheese. You got to sprinkle it. There's no, you can't place it on there. Oh, sure. I think distance, proximity, yeah. density of the cheese ball in your hand. Mm. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You need to be at a safe distance away from the taco when you drop <laughs> that cheese. Gravity plays a huge For sure. Huge you got to disperse it. It's got to be even. <laughs> and now we've gotten to our last element of a deceptive news article. It's misrepresentation of the opposition. So this is when you're talking about what the other side is saying or you're talking about like a policy from the other side of the aisle and whether it's completely false or you're just like kind of skewing it, you are trying to make the other side look bad in a way that might not be completely true. So I like to think of this like the hot sauce. You're adding the blaze, the sizzle to the article. You're like really digging in there. That's good, man. That's good. That might be the best. And so like this is obviously wicked pervasive on Twitter because that's just kind of all people do on Twitter is just kind of snipe at the other side. And so this article we were focusing on, since it's largely a defensive article, there wasn't as much talk about the opposition and misrepresenting them. So you would say it was light on the hot sauce, maybe a mild, <laughs> a mild flavor. Not so spicy. <laughs> right. Um, but we did. So we grabbed another news article that kind of exemplifies this. It's an MSNBC article titled with Ohio derailment blame game. Trump and Pence are back in sync. Nice. Um, and so the, the misrepresentation here, there's actually a couple of quotes that we can parse through right here. Quote, Wednesday found the former president and his vice president in sync yet again as they sought to deflect blame for the recent train derailment. And this one is funny because this kind of adds together two elements. It's the shredded lettuce and the hot sauce together because they say they sought to deflect blame for the train derailment, which is really funny and ironic because what was actually happening at the time was that Biden and Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, they were getting the blame and they were deflecting it to Trump and Pence, and then Trump and Pence were deflecting it from there. Which and is so, crazy, because whoever is currently in charge would be getting the first round of blame. Right. However, if you shuffle down to our next quote, it gives context for why this was happening in, in the way that it was. And so take it away on that one. Quote, but as many, including the White House, have noted, Republicans under Trump deregulated the rail industry to the delight of big companies like Norfolk Southern the rail operator responsible for the toxic disaster in East Palestine. So this article has it baked into it. They're also putting forth that argument that the White House was putting out. They're saying the derailment actually occurred because 
they got rid of regulations or laws that were in place to increase safety on this railway. And the people who got rid of it was in the Trump administration. And that's why the train derailed, not because of whatever we're doing right now. Notably, they don't say what the deregulations were. Right. And so if you dig into those deregulations, what was it that they actually got rid of? It was one of one of the things was a lowering of the number of staff that have to be on a particular train. I don't know what the actual numbers on it are. Let's say it's like a requirement for at least 10 people and they moved it down to five. Well, this particular train that derailed had more than what was the required limit before, before the deregulation happened. So even though it was deregulated, it had no impact on this particular train whatsoever. And then the other things that were deregulated, it was like a different class or type of train. So they actually wouldn't have applied to this particular train on this particular trip. So even though, yes, Trump and Pence, that administration did deregulate and maybe there maybe there is a good point to the fact that those regulations should be back in place who knows like i'm not super into the weeds on that particular piece of it but they're arguing that the deregulation caused this derailment and none of those regulations that were peeled back would have applied in this particular case quite literally the whole sentence could have been deleted it's just not applicable at all right completely not applicable but they they have to add the hot sauce they have to misrepresent what's going on to try and shift the blame from my side to your side if your taco might taste bad if you throw hot sauce on it it can taste good right (laughs) Right. And another thing that uh, tacos and deceptive news articles have in common, when you're finished consuming a deceptive news article, you have just as much indigestion as when you eat a taco. There it is. It's it's crummy. You feel terrible. And you ask yourself why you subjected yourself to it. But then after a while, you start to think to yourself, maybe it was good after all. I don't know. And you start craving another taco. (laughs) Why do we do it? I don't know. You keep going back to it, even though it's terrible for us. We want that slimy taco. We want it. So there definitely are ways to protect yourself from harmful or incorrect news articles. It's just being rigorous and knowing how to identify and at least acknowledge the certain methods that are being used against you. As soon as you start reading anything, stop and figure out who wrote it, where is it from, and read with skepticism built in and read something alongside of it from the other side of the aisle automatically assume that there is maybe something in there that is inaccurate or misleading. So in my history of auditing, they have this phrase, it's called professional skepticism. It's like kind of going into something, even if it might be a trusted source or it might be something that you believe to be accurate, approach it assuming that there is something wrong with it. Because by baking in that skepticism, by assuming that maybe there's something wrong with it and taking that extra care, you're less likely to be tricked you're way more likely to discern what's truth. And that's what you want to get out of news. Because if you're just reading, not conscientiously, just to get a fix or to feel good about whatever side of the aisle or whatever you believe is, you will get that out of reading haphazardly. Yep. Um, Haphazardly? Half. You're haphazarding. (laughs) Um, So we, we already talked about some of the social media things that kind of crop up here. But I just have to highlight that memes... Are the they are the freaking worst the most when it fun. comes to data. If you want to find misleading data, look for memes because that's where it's gonna sit. Like the data is misleading, it's stale, it's completely false or inaccurate. You should just automatically assume that if you see a statistic in a meme, that it is incorrect. It's the worst version of a headline, isn't it? 
it's basically Absolutely. yeah if someone's going to reference something based off a meme that's probably where your conversation with them should end especially social media there is nothing to hold them accountable they can spout whatever they want and they will never have any type of like negative ramifications for that happening yet it spreads the most effectively right absolutely like there was that meme that claimed that during covid that all of the wildlife was bouncing back with rapidity and like everything was teeming with life and whatever and every single part of it was completely false but it was like one of the most shared memes um, are you sure that wasn't happening because i thought that was happening no it wasn't it was completely false like all of those pictures were like completely just not true like photoshopped or something not photoshopped because like the the photos didn't actually show you anything it was just like pictures of those particular areas but all of the statements that were associated with it were just outright lies how about that i literally didn't know till right now you you were duped i was duped you were had I did not verify. Oh, I trusted. <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is that a lot a lot of times when it goes along with something that you want to inherently yes. believe, you're more inclined to just believe it. Can you imagine, though, a meme that is just telling you vanilla white bread information that is straightforward and honest, how boring and unshared that meme would be? Sure, but like also like who are these people that are out there that are like I really need to just craft this completely false information so that people can like and forward it. Like oh. I think there's a lot of money in that. No, you, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. If you are the uh, originator of a meme that goes viral, like you're a god. You're kind of yep. set at that point. No, you're absolutely right. And you're not going to get it by saying the weather was reasonable to me. <laughs> Tomorrow it will be partly cloudy. And you 65. should wear a long sleeve. <laughs> okay, here's some fun. Um, on Twitter, this is this is this is rich. <laughs> this, is, this is really this sad. Is high level mathematics. Congresswoman Tammy Wilson responding to a tweet that the U.S. had just sold Tomahawk missiles to Australia for nine hundred million, pointed out that with the U.S. population at three hundred million. You could solve poverty, hunger, and homelessness by giving everyone in the U.S. one million. Hold on. Doesn't that sound dope? Hold on. Grab your calculator for a second. Uh, Got to do some mental math here. Wait, wait, wait. Punch in the numbers. Uh, carry, carry the nine. Uh, hold on. Wait a second. You could give everybody three dollars, not one million dollars. What a buzzkill, Ken. That is <laughs> oh, not the meme we man. needed. Math is hard. So imagine uh, that she put she posted that up on the internet and left it there for a few our days. Our congressperson, yeah, and and this is so common, especially when math is involved. It is so common for basic math to be wildly misrepresented on the internet, and it was shared many, many, many times. Oh yeah, absolutely. But then there was you know the stalwart people in the comments that were like, "Excuse me," <laughs> and they were probably like shot down by everyone else like shut up that ain't right you're a nerd (laughs) right don't don't ruin my million nice biden recently tweeted about vetoing his first bill and in his tweet he said that the bill would risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors maga house republicans don't like and it's funny because it makes it sound like so he vetoed this bill he said like nope i'm not gonna let this bill pass because it will risk your retirement savings but This bill was specific to banning ESG, which is the environmental, social, and governance factors. So it's like ESG investing. Like you only want to invest in companies that have like high green green uh, policies or um, like low carbon emissions or whatever. That has absolutely nothing to do with risking your retirement. 
by definition, it only limits the investments that you can invest in. And there might be complete legitimacy to that particular invest. Like if somebody wants to invest on those particular factors, more power to you. So like, frankly, this bill, I personally don't think that you should be passing a bill that prevents you from using factors in your investments. So I'm technically on Biden's side on vetoing this bill. However, to frame it in a way that you're saying that the bill would risk your retirement savings, what you're doing with these ESG factors is limiting your potential investments. You're saying, I can't invest in these particular possibilities. Actually, the ESG factors have a higher likelihood of risking your retirement savings. So it's the completely opposite of what his statement was. <sighs> Wait, how would he even be able to spin that the opposite way? I have no idea. Yeah, no, like, I don't even understand how you could come up with an argument to say that it risks your retirement savings. That is a weird one. And the, also, uh, the White House tweeted, it was, I think it was last month, that grocery price inflation was down from the prior month. That sounds great. Grocery price inflation is down. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But think about the way that that statement is phrased. Not grocery prices are down. Grocery price inflation is down. So that means that grocery prices are still getting higher. Right. They just didn't increase by as much as they did the prior month. How lucky are we? It gives the wrong impression to the person that is reading it. But obviously, they're not going to say grocery prices were higher than they were last month because it's going to make them look bad. Yeah. Ugh. I guess it's trying to find the... Um kernel of happiness in that situation but it is very misleading to say things are going down in any way then there was this really weird one where the same piece of false information was making the rounds over and over again this just goes to show that false information will just grow like a weed representative jim banks tweeted that real wages had dropped for 21 consecutive months but if you can looked at it and uh they had consistently risen for two years right so there's an actual place where you can go and you look at real wage numbers, and it's consistently updated. I wouldn't call it the single source of truth, but it is a very reliable source that shows real wage amounts, and it shows the growth over time. And we went there and saw that the real wages had risen for two years. So Jim Banks is over there tweeting that real wages had dropped for 21 consecutive months, but they had actually risen for two years, which is really weird. Keep that in mind. Then the following month, U.S. Representative Mark Green shared a meme stating that January 2023 was the 22nd straight month that real wage growth was negative. But real wages had been rising since June 2022. Maybe he was trying to say the rate of growth was negative, which would be a little bit better, but... Even I, that wasn't accurate, though. <laughs> and and like we weren't the only ones that saw like so we fact checked this and we were like, that's not true. And then I like go into the comments and there's other people tweeting the same graphs that that we had like looked at to verify the information. And people were like, dude, check your sources. This is not true. And then there's more people harping in on this. Tommy Pijot, the RNC rapid response director, tweeted that the last time wages dropped this fast were 40 years ago. But wages had consistently risen over that time. So it's three people just forwarding the same idea, which is the not the truth. And getting it wrong over and over and over. All right. And so then a quick recap of what we've gone over. Uh, so the elements of a deceptive news article, we've got article placement and title, terminology and narrative, feigned consensus or use of one side's experts, modified or manipulated data, and misrepresentation of the opposition. And my one true hope, the thing that would warm my heart, is that 
as listeners are going through and reading an article at some point in the future that they'll just be reading through and they'll be like, hmm, this one's a little bit heavy on the shredded cheese there. Or they'll be like, there's the beef, found it. That would just make make my heart happy. So that must bring us to our Centrifugal Farce Award, man. It does indeed. Can you believe it? Take it it away. We're already there. Uh, Katie Lobotomy from CNN. (laughs) That's amazing. Katie Lobosco from (laughs) CNN. She is the originator of the great article about the federal debt that we have been largely uh, gleaning information off of throughout this whole episode. Um, She provided us with a good amount of content. She wrote a news article so frustrating, it prompted us to make a podcast episode about it. So So thanks is in order. Congratulations. You've won the award. Mm. Well, that wraps up the whole burrito. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you thought of the different show format. You can find us on Twitter at Reel It In Podcast or via email at Podcast at gmail.com. If you're on episode five and you're still with us, that's worth a review on whatever platform you're listening to, I think. It really helps us out. And thanks again. We'll see you next time on Reel It In. The taco, the, oh, the taco states. The, the article taco, states. The taco states. It's getting a The taco has me. spoken. <laughs> so today we are going to dissect the anatomy of a deceptive nude art. Nude art. <laughs> All right. So the next element of our deceptive nude art. Nude. <laughs> Those nude articles. Put some clothes on. Oh.